From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Congrats, you found us. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett, and I'll be your humble chat show host every week at this hour. And uh, listen while you can. I'm, I'm not being flippant when I say, given the landscape out there, as we slide inexorably towards soft totalitarianism, I'm not sure how much longer this type of radio program will be allowed to continue. But we're on tonight, and while there is life, there is hope. Uh, to my dear American friends, let me just say thanks to all the vets and the families of vets and uh, those on active duty. I thank you for your service. Up here in uh, Canada, we pay tribute to our vets November the 11th, which is Remembrance Day. But I want to acknowledge the vets in the United States because I am very aware that the quality of life that we enjoy in Canada is in large measure, thanks to the security afforded to us by virtue of living next door to the most powerful armed forces on the planet. And no greater tribute to the soldier has been written, I believe, than these words by Charles Michael Province, U.S. Army. It is the soldier, not the minister, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to protest. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the soldier, not the politician, who has, who has given us the right to vote. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows the protester to burn the flag. Uh, let me add to that. It's the soldier uh, who ultimately is responsible for programs like this getting on the air. Not too long ago, uh, conspiracy theorists were considered uncool recluses. I've been accused of being an uncool recluse, and I'd wear that badge uh, uh, of honor uh, admirably. But now, uh, following the revelations by Snowden and other whistleblowers at the NSA, who have uh, demonstrated extensive spying on American citizens, our paranoia, paranoia seems all the more reasonable. And people are starting to sense that things may not be as they appear. God, I hope so. In Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics, Donald Jeffries reveals how the U.S. government has spent more time covering up conspiracies than it has spent helping the American people. Over the last 50 years, he writes, the government has been dedicated to a significant percentage of its time lying and covering up the truth. Donald Jeffries has been researching the JFK assassination since the mid-70s when he was a student volunteer with Mark Lane's Citizens Committee of Inquiry. He's the author of the 2007 novel, The Unreals. He lives in Virginia with his wife and two children. Donald, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
Fine, thanks. For, thanks for having me. My pleasure, and uh, congratulations on a very impressive tome, Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American uh, politics. Uh, I'm, I'm very uh, interested in, actually, I, I want to begin with the introduction, uh, because you say something here that really cuts across the grain. Uh, you start off with talking about the administration of Abraham Lincoln, who is heralded as perhaps the greatest president of all time, and you take umbrage with that, and I think you have uh, a very valid point here. Tell me about Lincoln's Secretary of State, William Seward. Right. Well, he, he, you know, he used to brag about having a bell on it that he could ring a bell on his desk and have any American arrested, and uh, and that's you know that's the kind of mythology that uh, Americans are handed down. You know, and Abraham Lincoln is considered our greatest president, probably our greatest statesman. I think almost universally. And uh, it's really going against uh, the grain to say that. But, I mean, you know, his, he, he violated civil liberties like no other president. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus. He threw thousands of people in prison. They don't even know, the, you know, the, the number of uh, Americans because, they, you know, they didn't they just grab them. They arrested him in the middle of the night. He tried to arrest the uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court when he uh, went against his uh, writ of uh, suspending the writ of habeas corpus. So... This has been around a long time. Obviously, I started with the <clears throat> assassination of President Kennedy because I wanted to go over the last 50-year period where I think it has really uh, accelerated, unfortunately, and it's just increasing every day, the kind of tyranny we're living under. Well, uh, just to get back for Link to Lincoln for a moment, it, it, because so much of his presidency obviously was defined by the Civil War, uh, it, it, it would be interesting to see what kind of – or it would have been interesting to see what kind of president uh, Lincoln would have made um, perhaps in another era, uh, uh, you know, when when that wasn't sort of the defining um, aspect of of his, of his presidency. My, one one could argue, I suppose, that you know the, the, those were extraordinary times that required extraordinary measures. What, what, do, what do you th- what do you think of that? Well, yeah, that's that's always the excuse. And of course, you, you can't underestimate really the fact that the. The force he was fighting was, you know, considered uh, obviously the slave-owning state. So, you know, slavery is the issue that I think colors our uh, perspective on on the uh, Civil War, the war between the states. I think it's the South likes to call it. But uh, really, if you if you took slavery out of the equation, it was just a simple matter of uh, a group of states not wanting to be uh, a part of the Union anymore. Which seems to me it was almost the exact same thing we did, in the, you know, during the War for Independence. We didn't want to be a part of the we didn't want to be a British colony anymore. So, but you can't, you know, get away from the slavery aspect, and that's what happens when, if I ever talk about that, that's they instantly, you know, or say, well, okay, I guess you're for slavery. So it's it's really kind of it's a hard argument to make. So I kind of um, concentrate on the, on the fact that he he clearly did uh, violate civil liberties, and he was the first imperialistic president too. I mean, he overstepped his bounds constantly, and uh, but those are the kind of presidents that. Typically are rated high, whether it's Woodrow Wilson, FDR, whatever you know. The, the presidents that are considered powerful presidents, they, which really means they overstep their bounds and they violate the balance of powers. Because Congress, unfortunately, back then, I mean, they they set a trend. The radical Republicans in Congress in the 1860s did something that we're still seeing today, where you know the the, uh, the three branches of government are supposed to be separate and equal, but they're not. I mean, clearly, the you know the judiciary is much more powerful than the legislative, and obviously. When you have a strong president, as a, as a lot of times we have, and those are the ones that are admired. I mean, the media and, and uh, society at large seems to want that. You know, do something. You know, be bold, act decisively. And uh, unfortunately, when they act that way, it usually tramples on our liberties. Oh, that's that's an excellent point. 
uh, a, a president that sort of lives within the confines of the Constitution, um, you know, not necessarily going to be seen as who's not who's not uh, you know issuing edicts and presidential executive orders. Uh, I was I was reading recently about President Garfield, and the only pres- executive order. Uh, that Garfield ever issued was that Americans should have the day off on Memorial Day. <laughs> right. Well, he wasn't in office very long, so he really didn't really have much of a chance because he was assassinated. But uh, that, that tends to be the case. I mean, a guy like, uh, for instance, uh, you know, unfortunately, our, our politicians are so generally so bad that a lot of us, you know, all we can hope for is uh, a Calvin Coolidge type, you know, that just sits back and doesn't do anything or. The Even quiet Eisenhower, one, yes. Eisenhower was, was largely hands-off, but he looks so much better in perspective now because uh, the country is obviously uh, much stronger in, in almost every way. And uh, But the fact he just kind of let things alone, you know, and that's the problem is we don't have presidents that... And, and I, I'm not saying I advocate that, but unfortunately is when, when you have presidents in there who are proactive, they tend to do things that, uh, that aren't for the good of most of the people and that right. violate... Uh, the Constitution and our civil liberties. Absolutely. You mentioned Eisenhower. I was sitting in on, on Coast to Coast uh, this past uh, weekend, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, someone brought up uh, his uh, his um, Eisenhower's Cross of Iron speech, and, and I was talking about his uh, his outgoing message to Americans as he was ready to leave office in 1960. And of course, we've all heard the uh, sure. um, warning about the military-industrial complex. And I was. Um, uh, you know, speculating how his history would have been different and how his presidency would have been different had that been his inaugural address instead of his outgo. They always leave the good stuff until the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it would have been seen quite the same way. Yeah, I mean, you know, Oliver Stone started off JFK with it, uh, you know, with the Eisenhower speech. So it, uh, and it, it did kind of lead nicely into the uh, the Kennedy administration. Well, and and that leads us into the uh, the Kennedy uh, um, administration, which obviously looms large in your book, and, and you've uh, spent a long a long time uh, studying this president. And, and I think you, you really make some very interesting points that I haven't really read before uh, in this context, and that is how Kennedy was different from all presidents before and after. And there's a, a really interesting uh, list here. Uh, one of the things is that he wasn't really related to any other presidents. I mean, when we have Obama, is was is Obama not related to Dick Cheney? Yeah, I mean, he's related. I mean, I, I don't understand how that happened. He must have had uh, his mother must have had quite a background because I doubt very seriously if if the other side of his family was related to sixteen presidents or whatever it is. Right, right, um, and not part of the um, you know the establishment. So right. let's talk about some of the other the other ways that that Kennedy was very different. Uh, than than his predecessors or those that, that they came after. Well, I mean, obviously on, on the surface, the, the most noticeable difference most people would would say is that he was the first Catholic, so he was the first uh, person to come outside of that WASP establishment. And although the Kennedys were rich, uh, Joseph Kennedy, kind of made, senior, made his money really outside of the establishment, and he he was never. Uh, in with the in crowd, and I think he resented that. I don't know if it was he kind of wore his Irishness on his sleeve, and uh, you know he was he was despised, and uh, when he was an ambassador to England by uh, Churchill and you know Harry Truman hated him. And when Kennedy JFK was uh, nominated, I mean people don't remember, but Eleanor Roosevelt didn't like him. Adlai Stevenson initially didn't like him, although he later grew to like him. Truman, Harry Truman did not like him, and most of this was because they really hated his father. And 
I think they they really didn't know what to think of this guy, but they thought, oh, he's his father's son. And Kennedy came in there as, as the youngest elected president, and I think, you know, he was hit with the Bay of Pigs right away. And uh, he, he trusted in the CIA, he trusted in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and that had actually been, you know, initiated at the end of the Eisenhower administration, pretty much run by Nixon, as a matter of fact. Of, as in, he was kind of a figurehead politician, but the CIA was clearly running it. But I think when he saw what happened, it really opened his eyes, and he, you know, he wasn't going to... He said, they want me to you know, have air support and everything. I can't do that. So he pulled the plug on that. And then, of course, he looked weak doing that. And, you know, he angered all the Cubans. And All right, uh, Don, we've got the music uh, percolating up here. We'll continue to delve into uh, JFK and uh, other aspects contained in Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. Donald Jeffries, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back to the program. And uh, we are talking with Donald Jeffries, Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. Uh, you begin the book with a definition of conspiracy. But the, the, uh, the term conspiracy theory really uh, came out of the uh, the JFK assassination and and uh, uh, critics of the uh, the Warren report uh, was conspiracy theory not sort of concocted by uh, that term concocted by uh, the CIA or the FBI in order to discredit critics of the the Warren report. Well, we know they had the the infamous uh, memo that was put out in the late sixties by the CIA, which uh, uh, I believe was titled "Encountering Criticism of the Warren Report" and. Uh, you know, really, I mean, it's 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 hard to you know think of something that could have been more suspicious for an organization to do that allegedly had no connection to the Warren Commission at all. But uh, if you read what's actually in it, it's out there. You can find it online. But I mean, they gave the kind of advice that we've seen has been completely uh, followed over the years by the mainstream media to try to demonize him, to point out I don't know how many times, and we've seen it in other conspiracies too. Well, someone would have, in fact, there's a book called Someone Would Have Talked. You know, you can't keep a secret in Washington and all that kind of nonsense. And uh, clearly you can, because and, and people do talk. It, the problem is that they talk, and, and very few of us are listening, and it doesn't seem to matter what they say. And uh, I think that's what the important thing is. And conspiracy theorists, the term really is just a catch-all, slanderous term that's used to... Uh, denigrate any kind of questioning of authority, even any kind of skepticism about any, really, any aspect of our lives. Yeah, what is most uh, disturbing to me is when someone who uh, toils in the uh, the MSM, mainstream media, uh, and they'll throw out that term, or oh, I'm not going to talk about that, that's a conspiracy theory, and I say to myself, you're an investigative journalist, you above anyone else should be a conspiracy theorist. A homicide detective is a conspiracy theorist. They're trying to figure out and piece together who was responsible, was there anyone else involved? Uh, so exactly. they've completely abandoned the playing field in that regard, and then they wonder why their circulation is plummeting. Yeah, exactly, and it, it really, it, it's, it's unbelievable the lack of curiosity, the lack of skepticism on the part of really every, almost every mainstream reporter, and they don't ask the questions. The only, the only reason questions are asked, if we didn't have the Internet, they wouldn't be asked at all, or, or talk radio shows like yours. But uh, really, these are the only people that are raising them. are you know, average people, bloggers and, and writers like myself, radio talk shows, and, and uh, you know, just average people on the Internet. People, I mean, I, I get a, I find so much insight on some of these conspiracy forums. I mean, it's amazing the brilliant anonymous souls that are out there. And they're, 
if only they were working for the New York Times or CBS or ABC, these things couldn't happen because all you would all it would take would be one huge media org and one television network. Uh, probably a, a newspaper at this point probably wouldn't do it because they're pretty much a dying uh, breed. People don't read newspapers anymore, at least not the paper versions. But one big television network, if they had somebody in charge who really wanted to go after these things, imagine, ex, imagine expose after expose, and they could make these people look, these leaders look as foolish as they are. I mean, look what just happened with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I, I wrote on my blog about that. I mean, it's unbelievable. What, what kind of representative democracy or constitutional republic, whatever you want to call it at this point, do we have when the official, <laughs> the official rules for this legislation or this deal were that the members had to go down, you know, surreptitiously, like in a clandestine way down to the basement visitor center of the Capitol in a soundproof room where they had to leave their cell phones and their staff behind, and they could read the document, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages. They couldn't hope to read it. They couldn't take any notes. They couldn't, and they couldn't, they were forbidden to discuss it when they left the room. And if that doesn't cry out for an expose and, you know, hard-hitting, you know, the way you sometimes see uh, local reporters go after a used car dealer or something. If they had that kind of, you know, kind of drive going ahead, you know, wh- who made this up? I mean, who, you know, why would you have those kind of stipulations on that? This is a huge piece of the legislation here. Well, they, because they have become so emboldened uh, that they they feel that they can get away literally with anything. If they can murder a president in clear, uh, you know, sight of the American public uh, and get away with it, uh, if they can, um, you know, manufacture uh, a, uh, a you know reasons to go to war with Iraq uh, when clearly there were no weapons of mass destruction, and then they can do it all again. And uh, uh, because we have such short memories, they're just they're so brave now and, and and brazen about it because they know they can get away with virtually anything. They can put anyone in the White House they want. Um, and I don't know what is it our our pineal glands have become so calcified with fluoride we just don't seem to give a damn. Yeah, well, I think I think it's just human nature. It's, I think it's the way it's always been. Is that the vast majority of people are followers, and uh, they follow leaders. And the problem is, you know, you look back to the revolutionary era, the War of Independence. The reason that was able to succeed, you had very few people that were supporting the war. You know, the, the war for independence. Most people were like they are now. They just kind of, you know, they just wanted to go along to get along. And you had a few loyalists, but. You had a, a core of very wealthy people, and that's the difference. Now, you don't have any wealthy people that are going to go against the system because it's working so well for them. But back then, you had George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, the Adams, Benjamin Franklin. These, these were very, very wealthy people, the richest people of their time. So they were able to convince, because they had the power of their press, you know, Thomas Paine and Common Sense and so forth, they were able to persuade enough people to fight the war and win it, and then once they became, you know, once they became in power, then everybody became a patriot. But th- that's that's the problem, is that today you have, and I, I run into that all the time, I mean, I I try to, what I call, wake people up, you know, but most people are asleep, and uh, the ones that are asleep are just, are just sleeping more sound than ever, but uh, the, the good part is that I think more and more young people are, are, uh, are able to wake up a little bit easier, They're, especially as, as the economy continues to go in the tank and whether or not you know when i think it's just a matter of when we this economy collapses but they see what's coming they realize that their hopes and dreams have been dashed they don't have much of a future so i think more and more of them are are you know able to you're much able much more able to persuade them than you would uh, older people who have uh, 
they're just looking to, you know, retire and get their nest egg, and especially if yeah, they're, they're looking for a soft case, landing. Exactly. Them. Listen, we, uh, I, I do want to talk about the economy uh, because. I mean, talk about another, you know, abdication of responsibility on the part of the mainstream media, you know, fudging, going along with the fudging of, of uh, you know, labor data and unemployment figures and, and all of this. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, I do want to return to Kennedy for a moment, though, because I know that that's been a great part of your your life's work. Uh, and I, I, uh, in the uh, during the 50th anniversary in 2013, I did a... I think we did about 12 shows uh, called Connecting the Dots on JFK with uh, James D. Eugenio. Uh, I don't know if you've ever crossed. Familiar with him, I know. Um, so I don't, I don't want to dedicate the entire hour to JFK. But um, what, in your mind, is the maybe the least reported or least commented on aspect of the assassination uh, and the aftermath that concerns you? Is it is it the the, the relationship between Oswald and Ruby? Uh, uh, what is it? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a long list to try to pick one. Uh, I, I try to concentrate, I think, on the very simple fact is that the crime, it, the crime was never honestly investigated. Not really at all. I mean, Mark Lane said early on that, you know, when, it, when they looked at how the Warren report was separated into various categories, and most of it was a biography of Oswald because they just, you know, that was a pr- prosecutorial brief, you know, really trying to prove Oswald's guilt very ineffectively. But he said, I would have invented another category. That would be who killed who killed Kennedy, and I mean they they never even thought, and that's the problem is they were allowed to investigate it. The Dallas police gave up early on, although they had actually had jurisdiction, but the Secret Service stole the body and they couldn't. So I would say that just the simple fact they didn't investigate it, and also I also like to focus as uh, my friend Vince Palomera has done quite a bit on the Secret Service, and uh, I, I really believe they're the most visible reminder of what happened that day because you know anybody that watches the film footage and sees just the absolute lack of any kind of reaction when they were just a short hop and a jump away from the presidential limousine they had over six seconds to react they did absolutely nothing in fact the driver slowed down or perhaps even stopped the car turned around and actually watched uh, kennedy's head get blown off so i think clearly what orders they were under i don't know but for whatever reason if there had been an honest investigation those secret service agents would have been grilled mercilessly by the people investigating it, but they weren't. And they were actually, to this day, a couple of them that are surviving are writing books and, you know, acting as if they're heroes. Uh, excellent points. And, and the uh, the hits just keep on coming with uh, with the secret service. It's just they just yeah. seem to stumble from one misadventure to the next. Yeah. Uh, it, I guess the the takeaway really from from uh, from JFK's administration was he was just really a lamb led to a slaughter. It's like the moment he arrived uh, in the Oval Office, uh, and you point this out, and was it uh, Southcroft who said, you know, we are at war against, essentially, they they found themselves at war against the national security state, and they'd yeah. stumbled into this trap really not knowing the lay of the land, I guess. No, I mean, they were they were very naive. They had, I mean, the Kennedys, and, you know, never forget that he had Robert Kennedy there, who was very powerful. They were almost co-presidents. I mean, Robert Kennedy was a driving force for a lot of JFK stuff. He was he was more of a uh, zealot, you know, than JFK. JFK was more pragmatic. But they they were in there, and I think they were shocked at what they saw because they had both, you know, led sheltered lives. At, you know, Hyannisport and Palm Beach, and you know, uh, going to Harvard, and you know, they talk your quintessential, incredibly wealthy guys, and. Uh, they suddenly had their eyes open when they were in power. And I, I think what's important to remember about JFK is that he was really the last president 
to attempt to really go around the powers. Ever since then, you know, they just, uh, the presidents would get in there, they know who to obey, and, you know, they know what, they're, what they can and can't do. But JFK, I think, actually thought he could, you know, assume the powers of the presidency. And he, he actually, uh, you know, tried to, I mean, you can see it in so many things he did, you know, with his, his scathing speech uh, to U.S. Steel, which I, you know, and of course his, his timeless speech at American University. I mean, there's never been a speech like that by an American president that just was just a bold plea, a declaration for peace. And uh, I, really, I, anybody can look back, and I, you're not going to find any other president that ever, or very few politicians that made that kind of plea for, you know, not a Pax Americana, peace not in our time, but for all time. And he actually was able to look at, his, at, his, at our enemies with humanity and say, you know, they breathe the same air we do, they have the same children. So this was a dangerous guy. And, you know, the fact that we still have leftists like Noam Chomsky, and the left has been worse on Kennedy's memory really than the right has, but they still continue to lie about his legacy. And, and you know, we have National Security Action Memorandum 263, which doesn't make it any clearer than you could make it, that he was planning to withdraw all the troops, uh, the first 1,000 by the end of that year, and he wanted them all out by 1965. So Vietnam would have been completely different, but you have the Noam Chomskys and other leftists saying, no, no, Kennedy probably would have done the same thing. And there's nobody there to say, you know, wave that memorandum and, you know, <laughs> say, what do you mean? Right here, he right. tells you what he was going to do, and it was changed instantly before his body was called by national yeah, security. And there, go, there goes the, the prophets of Bell Helicopter, <laughs> and, and Bell yeah, Helicopter, yeah. of course, was 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 run by um, an ex-Nazi who was exfiltrated into the United States under paperclip. Right, right, and there's and there's you know you can never forget. I mean, just imagine what how different uh, the '60s would have been, and how different. That's why I think I started with Kennedy because so many things, like a domino effect real domino effect, not like what they used to say about communism, but a domino effect from, the, from really November 22nd, 1963 on, because uh, without that, you almost certainly, I think the civil rights movement would have been different, because, uh, you know, psychologically, I try to bring this point up a lot, I think that we can't underestimate how his murder psychologically affected us, because this was such a movie star-looking guy, he was so, so charming and articulate, and, uh, you know, he, he inspired so many young people with the Peace Corps, and to be replaced by this crude, inarticulate, hack-party politician who just, you know, couldn't, even if he had been honest, which I don't think he was, he just couldn't make himself, he always looked corrupt. I mean, oh, he did. You know, I think but, that so many doubts were born uh, about Kennedy's assassination by his behavior, and certainly as I go into my book a little bit, the Kennedy people really resented the way he, LBJ, and his people acted that day. To what extent did Johnson foist himself onto that ticket? Because he wanted to be a heartbeat away from the presidency. To what extent, well, we'll talk about it when, the, when we come back from the break. Uh, we continue our conversation with Donald Jeffries. Hidden history, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics uh, belongs in uh, all of your libraries, those of you that listen to programs like this can't recommend it enough. Back with more here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Donald Jeffrey stays with us. Hidden history, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. 
Um, before we move on to other matters, uh, I wanted to ask you about, um, I think we were, we were uh, talking about LBJ. And um, uh, there is, of course, this uh, story that comes from his mistress, Madeline Duncan Brown, that uh, the night before the assassination, uh, LBJ attended a meeting of uh, Texas oil men, including Clint Murchison and um, A.L. Hunt, I believe, and, and others in attendance. We've been told in some quarters that everyone from uh, Nixon and, I mean, you name it, everyone was there. Uh, and Johnson um, emerged from the meeting and told his mistress Brown, after tomorrow, that SOB, meaning Jack Kennedy, will never embarrass me again. Uh, apocryphal, what are your thoughts? Is Madeline Duncan Brown credible? Well, you know, I, I never met her. I never talked to her. Um, I, I, I know a lot of the researchers don't believe she was credible. I, I really have no opinions on that. I mean, it's certain, I, I don't think it's, it's, it certainly sounds like a Johnson's character to, do, to say something like that. So I, I wouldn't discount it just because of that. But I, I really have no solid evidence that that's, you know, that actually, that actually happened. But I think there's a, enough smoke around Lyndon Johnson uh, with, you know, the slew of bodies he apparently left behind him since it, from his days in Congress. I go over some of that in the book, and certainly his behavior that day in Dallas and afterwards when, uh, you know, that's really when the beginning of the, the intense feud between LBJ and RFK really began uh, in earnest on that day when he lied about uh, the, taking the oath in office. I mean, we all seen the pictures, of, you know, where he forced Jackie in her bloodstained dress to stand. I mean, that's just an act of sadism. Yes. Stand next to him, and then the Congressman Thomas, Albert Thomas, in the background was caught in the middle of a wink, and Lady Bird has this incongruent smile on her face. It's just, you know, it was just, they, they just couldn't contain their glee. And, and it's so, it, it's really, I think, everybody, I, I don't for a second believe LBJ was the mastermind behind the plot, but I think he, he knew it was going to happen, and he was uh, overjoyed, I think, that it did, so he would be president. Uh now the other this is a highly contested uh, issue and that is the the uh, the story that the the limousine the presidential limousine parade route was changed last minute true or false because i've heard i've heard uh, conflicting reports on that yeah the the, the critical community is, is divided on that as there are on a lot of things i i believe there are strong indications that it was changed i, I personally believe it was changed last minute but it, you know, you can you can find me on all these JFK forums. I don't post there as much as I used to because it, at length, you know, eventually you get tired of all this stuff because uh, they'll just debate, you know, this, this tiny minutia forever and ever and ever, and they'll, you know, claim somebody's a, a disinfo agent because of some little thing like that. But um, I think the indications are, and I, I think, you know, I'm still a supporter of Jim Garrison, and, uh, you know, he looked into that as, as well as the early critics did. And I, I still th- think the early critics were the best critics, and I don't, I don't think very much of what they reported initially during their investigations because they, they really did the work that professional journalists should have done and never did. And uh, if it hadn't been for Mark Lane and Sylvia Marr and a housewife like Shirley Martin and um, Harold Weisberg, the retired chicken farmer, uh, you know, Mark Lane, obviously, if, if it wasn't for these people, uh, we wouldn't know any of this stuff because it, it took a lot of work to go through 26 volumes of unindexed uh, mess, really. I mean, most of it was insignificant stuff. I mean, things like, you know, Jack Ruby's mother's dental charts. You know, as Mark Lane pointed out early on, you know, that wouldn't have been, uh, you know, significant even if uh, Ruby had bit Oswald to death. So, I mean, these, these things were, and that's, and the, and the, it's, it's really, this, if you pour through these exhibits, that's what you find there. And, and what these what these critics did is they found that the commission's own evidence proved conspiracy completely, you know, uh, contradicted everything they were saying, all their conclusions. And uh, 
but most people didn't read those 26 volumes. They were very expensive. You had to buy them all together as a complete set. And uh, you know, especially most people just wanted the testimony, but you had to buy the exhibits too, like I said, which are largely meaningless. So, um, yeah, I really anybody anybody that spends uh, a week studying the official evidence is, is you know going to going to come away a hundred percent convinced. Okay, the official story is impossible. Lee Harvey Oswald shot no one that day. Uh, what do you make of attempts to place uh, um, Daddy Bush, uh, George the First? At uh, in in Dallas, November twenty second, sixty three. He was an FBI field agent at the time, was he not, or a CIA field agent? Well, there's there's a, a letter that he wrote, and again, that's one of those things which I, I it's one of those things that didn't interest me that much because I, I don't think he was powerful enough at the time to have a significant role in anything. There there is a curious letter that a George Bush of the CIA wrote at that time, but I think it's one of those kind of. Uh, rabbit holes I don't go down because I go, I go down a lot of rabbit holes but I, I just don't think that's as productive I, I try to really harp on what I think are the strongest indications of conspiracy and that's what I put in my book I mean you know the, the secret service failure uh, obviously the impossibility of the single bullet theory uh, the uh, the head wound you know which when you, you know every 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 person in Dallas that saw the head wound of JFK reported a huge massive blowout in the back which indicates Okay, we, sorry, uh, sorry to jump in here. We've got the, the music coming up here again, so we'll, we'll take another time out and uh, continue one more segment with Donald Jeffries, Hidden History. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back, and uh, Donald, I, def- I definitely want to have you back on because there's so much uh, uh, in this book to discuss, and we are not even, well, we just simply cannot do it justice. Uh, I-, I want to skip ahead and, and uh, talk about, uh, well, he is, let's face it, he is m- much beloved uh, by those on the left um, uh, and sort of seen as really the great communicator. No question, I think I think Bill Clinton uh, was probably one of the, the um the, the greatest communicators. Everyone talks about Ronald Reagan, uh, and he was a great communicator. But Clinton could speak extemporaneously, and uh, I mean, he could charm the socks off of anybody. Uh, but as you point out, the Clinton years really is conspiracy central. And here we go. You know, the pre-approved slate of candidates. It's it's a it's a Bush and a Clinton again in 2016. But let's just talk for a few moments about the Clinton presidency. And you talk about the body count going back to his days as governor of Arkansas. Let's chat about that. Yeah, it's 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 just amazing, and you know the, the people that were invited, and I still get this from people that that just cling to this myth that I mean Clinton Clinton benefited from the dot com boom, so the economy was 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 good during most of his administration, and the nineties were good for me for most people, but he you know like most presidents, modern presidents, he had very little to do with that. He just lucked out, but he on the other hand he had some bad luck because it was the dawn of the internet. And the internet really, again, it wasn't the, it wasn't the media that was talking about the Clinton body count, that's for sure. And, uh, the mainstream media just, uh, if you remember when he was finally impeached, I mean, they actually didn't even want to televise impeachment. I mean, could anything be more historic or unusual than that? Right, right. But they, they acted like it didn't happen. And, uh, but yeah, he's, I mean, I, I talked to Linda Tripp, I talked to, uh, who's still, you know, I got an argument about her on uh, the JFK forum a couple weeks ago with somebody who's just a devoted Clinton follower, and it's just unbelievable what they did to her life. And she was just really trying to protect herself. She told me they all, all the people in the White House knew about the Clinton body count, and they all feared for their lives. And uh, you, know, you have somebody like Jerry Parks, who was the head of his security in Arkansas, who 
told everybody I'm next after Vince Foster died, and then and then he dies. Uh, he gets shot while he's driving in his car. I mean, who? How many people die that way outside of the mob? I mean, you know, really, really, only organized crime figures do that. But in Clinton's case, he had you know just incredible. I mean, Kathleen Willie, one of the many women who accused him of you know improper advances uh, to him. I mean, her her husband Ed Willie was his body was found shot dead in the woods. Again, who who dies that way? I mean, especially these are upper class successful people. I mean, you could maybe argue, okay, maybe in a trailer park or something that might happen. But that's, you know, what fascinates me and why I concentrate on that so much, that he, you know, we forget about the just incredible corruption there. And it's not that the Bushes were any better. As I point out, they had body counts, too. It's just that Clinton, I think, was the first one to be, uh, you know, they uh, ascribed that name to it. And the Internet said was was just coming into power, and he, he just gave them, you know, a plethora of, you know, material to deal with. It was, you know, he uh, it was just one thing after another, and uh, you know, it, you know, there's so many things happened. Then Waco, Oklahoma City, and then of course I, I go into the John F. Kennedy Jr. death, which I, you know, I, I think I'm the first one that really reported the, the truth about that, and uh, I don't believe that was an accident for a second. And uh, so, so many significant things happened in the '90s that, that paved the way, uh, you know, for I think the, the state we're in today. Uh, and uh, do you see? Do you foresee uh, Hillary Hillary uh, versus Jeb Bush? 2016 presidential run. Boy, what a choice! Huh? <laughs> Another great choice, but you know, I don't know if that's what the people want. I mean, I think that's what the vote doesn't seem want. to matter. What the people want, though, Donald. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But it, but it's, it's what happens is there's so many people are disillusioned that you know the people that really are the most political savvy don't vote. I mean, you know, there's a saying, you know, don't vote; it only encourages them. And you know, they're they're giving you nobody to vote for, and, and the idea that Hillary Clinton. But they want to push her so much. I think they were they were so successful in getting Barack Obama in and uh, promoting him as the first black president, and that any criticism of their figurehead is met with racist. Oh, you're racist. And I think they'll do. They would do the same thing with Hillary, where you're a sexist. You don't like women. Oh, you're threatened by a woman in power, a powerful woman. And that's what you'll be hearing, assuming, you know, she, that something really outrageous scandal happens that they just can't recover from but at this point it sure looks like that's who they're promoting and i i think she's going to get a huge chunk of the of the female vote unfortunately and i, I just don't think there's uh, going to be enough people to and you know jeb bush will probably be maybe her figurehead opponent but i mean really how many how many people the right is not going to get worked up over jeb bush so, i mean i out of the candidates are there i mean i think Rand paul you know i i would probably vote for him just because i hope he's he's ron paul's son and you know there, he's just playing politics, but I mean, certainly this week he he did a few good things where he he, he helped the uh, he helped block the extension of the three key passages for the Patriot Act. But I mean, that'll I'm sure they'll you know they'll, they'll reemerge and and pass that because these things always pass. That's you know it's inevitable. But you know I, I admire the fact that at least he stood up for that. Well, wh- whoever uh, uh, takes the uh, the White House is going to have to uh, preside perhaps over the. Uh uh, the next, you know, huge um, bubble burst, and and there are so many bubbles to burst. There's the credit card, the student loan debt. There's the auto. I mean, it's you know we've, we've learned nothing since 2007. We've simply you know ratcheted up tenfold. Uh, the 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 um, the manipulation of the data now is just mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. Does anybody living or dead believe that the U.S. unemployment rate is below 6%? Oh, it's ridiculous. And they're, 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 they're reporting figures to you. They're, they're admitting 
what they're reporting are people collecting unemployment benefits. <laughs> I mean, that's because people's unemployment benefits run out. They don't qualify. They, they just don't choose to ever get them, or, or they're just, you know, they've given up looking for work. All those people, I mean, they're telling at the same time 90 to 100 million people are unemployed of adult age. So you do the math. I mean, that's, you know, like 30% or something. So uh, even if you take out the retirees and the students that don't want to work, and then they want to, they want to bring 10 to 30 million, however many uh, more immigrants, illegal immigrants, into the country and add that to the workforce. It's, it's really, it's, it, I, I've said over and over again, I try to stress this point, you could get any random group of preschoolers anywhere in the country, the most impoverished area, people that didn't, you know, they were terrible uh, home life, whatever, and they would do a much better job of running this country than our leaders do. Do you uh, foresee within the next five years, let's say, I'm just th- picking that arbitrarily, the next five years uh, that the United States, uh, the U.S. dollar, will cease to be the reserve currency? I, that's that's certainly a possibility. What, what I, I mean, I don't like to make predictions. A lot of conspiracy-minded people do, and, it, and they, they harp on that. Alex Jones does that quite a bit, and a lot of other people do. And if, if you're wrong, then you look bad. But I think it's inevitable. I don't think the economy, whether it's the dollar or anything, I, I don't think the economy can continue like this. You have the massive... Uh, disparity in wealth i mean you can't you can't have just uh recently i was reading about hewlett packard you know it's breaking up and and um you know they're going to outsource all those jobs and you you can't outsource the entire country and while you're bringing in immigrants to do the work americans won't do because there are no jobs for the americans to do and you want to pay them third world uh wages without benefits so i i just don't think you have to have people making enough money to be able to support the products you're importing from all over the world and what few things you're still building here, and, and just to be able to buy the services that your economy depends on. And, and what they're doing now is they're, I mean, working-class people and poor people, raises are a thing of the past. They're not getting raises. They're chipping away at benefits, and uh, most people won't have pensions or anything. And Social Security is one of the bubbles you were talking about. I mean, they know the math there. They know that that it can't continue, but they won't. You know, go. They won't say it has to be means tested, and most people don't realize only the fir- first one hundred thousand dollars of income is passed is taxed on Social Security. I mean, you can't imagine a more regressive tax than that. So you know who's paying that. I mean, so Bill Gates is paying the same amount of uh, taxes somebody that uh, on Social Security that somebody is making a hundred thousand dollars a year is, and that's that's wrong, and nobody's talking about it. Are you concerned at all about Jade Helm? You know, I think that's one of the things. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of many indications. Of, you know, just you know, of, of federal tyranny. Uh, I wouldn't go. I know Alex Jones has made a lot out of that, and I wouldn't go about making predictions and saying this is the stand or whatever. Because these things, what happens is, it looks like this is going to be the big one, and then it just kind of goes away, and then the next one comes. But it's 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 an indication of everything that's wrong in this country. I mean, we. I mean, you know. States haven't had rights for a long time, and, and uh, you know the federal government pretty much does what it wants. And it, the worst case scenario under Jade Helm, I think, could happen. I don't, I really don't think a state could you know resist it if they tried. I mean, we saw what, you know what happened in, uh, in other instances. You know, going back to the war between the states, and um, it's going to be hard for them to win that battle. But I, I'm just concerned about the overall aspect of. of uh, tyranny really at all levels and it's it's just what i call a a cocktail of corruption and competence at you know, really all levels of anybody with any influence and the the honest people that are there that would make these rational decisions are so outnumbered that 
they're just they they can't do anything and it's uh you know when you see something like this trans-pacific partnership as i described the uh, you know the way they're going about that where anybody can understand i mean who who would support who wrote those rules that you know, <laughs> that you can't talk about it you can't take notes and, and they're voting on it but I try to stress things like that that are so, you know, most people can understand that, but they still, you know, especially if, they're, if, they're, if their lives are going okay, and I think we're seeing that throughout society, is that people, if, if they're okay, the whole thing is, well, I don't have any empathy for anybody else, I'm doing all right, you know, and they're not looking at the big t- picture and, and what's going to be happening in uh, five years, ten years, and you know, further down the road, that we're we're building a just you know really a monstrosity that uh, our children and grandchildren are going to have to deal with. Well, I, I was talking to someone the other night about uh, the uh, the UN sanctions against Iraq, uh, largely uh, sponsored by the United States and, and Great Britain, and, and absolutely devastating. Uh, right. I mean, people forget, uh, although Saddam Hussein was a thug, absolutely, but that's what you get in the Middle East. Uh, right. An incredible, um, um, you know, uh, civilization. Um, middle class, uh, secular uh, society, uh, women, you know, working as hospital administrators, driving, unlike, you know, our allies in the region in Saudi Arabia, where they're still having witch trials for crying, crying out loud. Right, right. Uh, and and uh, the, the country absolutely destroyed uh, by these UN sanctions, and yet they were waiting for the people to rise up and, and uh, overthrow Saddam Hussein. But when you're trying to, you know, one day you're a doctor, and the next day you're trying to find out how you can, you know, feed your your children uh, and make one piece of bread, you know, last the whole day. I mean, that's what's happening to me, uh, to my way of thinking in the United States. People are so preoccupied now with mm-hmm. just figuring out how to pay their utility bill. They right. don't have time to get involved in, in political action. Exactly, and that's why you, you have these, they're really distractions where they make, uh, where they make, I mean, I, I wrote a blog and it's really about the Baltimore riots and so forth. It, it's, they, these kind of things where they can get people arguing with races and religions and, and sexes, and they you get them distracted so easily, and they're easily distracted, whether it's sports, the lottery, whatever, and uh, they can't see the big picture. They you know you try to talk to them about how our banking system works, or try to talk to them about what's going to happen with Social Security, or or the unemployment rates, what they really mean. And I'm I'm just met with blank looks a lot of times. I mean, sometimes I get through to people, especially young people, and they go, "Oh wow, you know," and they're they're interested, but. Most people, you know, that are, you know, anywhere near my age, that are, that are, you know, young adults, middle aged, whatever they are, they, they just don't want to hear it. They just, oh, you're crazy, you know. <laughs> they, you can't wake the dead, as they no, say. No, and that's what it is. And it's, it's, it's so frustrating because it, if enough people woke up, but I mean, this goes back to, you know, Orwell's 1984. I mean, that's, you know, remember Winston Smith would sit there and say, you know, the proles, <laughs> they could crush the inner party, but. They, if only, but they could only get upset. I mean, he was so, you know, such, such a great uh, seer of the future where, you know, he, he had them fighting over. He, he, Winston would see them getting upset, but they were upset over sports or the lottery. Exactly. False and outrage. Are, you know. Listen, we, um, we're out of time, but um, I, I'd like to have you back on uh, again at some point this summer. Would you be good for that? Sure. Anytime. I'd be happy. Terrific. Yeah. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. Hidden History. Donald Jeffries. Uh, the website is richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth.